Good morning. This morning's uh, scripture from the Old Testament is Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 10, which hopefully you'll find on page 724 in the uh, Pew Bible. I'll give you a moment. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. When he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these, to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath into you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and the skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then our New Testament reading is from Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 3, and 12 through 18. Are we beginning to command, commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written upon our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts." But when one returns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The very word of God.
that last uh, passage of scripture has that phrase um, change from one degree of glory to another and you might remember that old Wesley hymn where um, the last verse goes uh, changed from glory into glory till in heaven we see your face till we cast our crowns before thee lost in wonder love and grace that's um, where that passage uh, or where that um, verse comes from If I say, once upon a time, what comes to mind? What do you think? Fairy tales. Fairy tales? Stories. Stories? Yeah, once upon a time. That's kind of uh, the beginning phrase in stories. And... It's been observed that um, stories are a particularly effective way of communicating. Stories have places and characters in them that are ones that we can identify with. Stories have a structure that is um, easy to remember. It has a beginning and a middle and an end. And, and of course, you remember Jesus uh, in the Gospels. He used a lot of stories. So once upon a time, there was a farmer and he went out to sow. Or once upon a time, there was a father and he had two sons. And immediately, our minds go to the story of the prodigal son. uh, And that story of how it is that God loves us. When I was growing up, Telling stories, reading stories, listening to stories was a familiar part of our family life. And and perhaps for you as well. And as we were mentioning a moment ago, uh, one type of story is uh, the fairy tale. And so we had um, books that had fairy tales in them. Grimm's, uh, not the TV show, but the the book uh, had fairy tales in it. And and, uh, many of you probably remember... Uh, the original or the remakes of the Disney um, animated versions of, of fairy tales. Uh, this morning we are talking about transformation. And so I have in mind um, three fairy tales that kind of seem to do with uh, this idea of transformation. If you remember Cinderella, Cinderella was a young girl and she lost her mother and the father remarried and and uh, she now had a wicked stepmother and mean stepsisters, and, and they subjected her to this ridicule and abuse, and she was going into despair, and suddenly her fairy godmother appears and waves a wand, and her rags are transformed into a gown, and a pumpkin is changed into a grand carriage, and she is transformed into a beautiful woman that wins the heart of a prince. You might remember Beauty and the Beast. In this way, in this story, uh, transformation is kind of going both ways. There's this uh, proud and haughty prince, and he's approached by a peasant woman, and he dismisses her and treats her in a cruel way. But she casts a spell on him. And 
He is transformed into this grotesque beast. And so he lives alone apart from the villagers who fear him, who are repelled by him. Until a chance encounter with a young woman happens and she's able to see beyond, you know, his grotesque appearance. And um, there's an affection and a love that grows. And eventually this beast is transformed into the prince that he was intended to be. A prince who looks out for other people, who cares and protects other people. Another fairy story is uh, Pinocchio. And remember, his Geppetto is this uh, woodworker. And he's working on a piece of wood, and he starts making this marionette. And he, he says, oh, I wish I had a son. And the blue fairy comes, and this puppet starts to walk and talk. And he thinks this is cool until he finds out that Pinocchio... Pinocchio's a liar. And remember, his nose grows whenever he tells the lie. And then he falls in with these rascally companions and, and uh, they deceive and cheat others. And, and now Pinocchio is starting to be transformed into a donkey until, again, the blue fairy intervenes and he's transformed not from just a wooden puppet that talks, but into a real boy. He's transformed into the son that he was intended to be. Uh, in the Disney version of these fairy tales, they have a lot of songs, but there's a couple songs that sort of summarize the story. They're little narratives, if you will, that sort of summarize what, what happens. And so Cinderella sings, um, No matter how your heart is grieving, if you keep on believing, the dreams that you wish will come true. And that's kind of similar to Pinocchio, where um, Jiminy Cricket sings, um, When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are, Anything your heart desires will come to you. Now, these fairy tales have been around for generations, and they appear in many different cultures, most likely because they contain emotional experiences that um, are very familiar to us, that ring true to us in some way, or um, perhaps... Um, we wish that these were true. In the lives of ordinary people, something extraordinary happens. What appears to be an ordinary pumpkin is a pathway to the prince. This pumpkin is transformed. You, you probably, many of you remember... Um, C.S. Lewis, a, a great 20th century storyteller, he wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And you might remember that in that story, there's this ordinary-looking wardrobe, and the children walk into it, and suddenly they're experiencing something extraordinary. They're in the land of Narnia, where animals talk, and they meet Aslan, the lion. 
But there were lots of stories that were part of my life. And certainly one thing that I am very grateful for, and I certainly believe is part of God's work of transformation in my life, was the fact that um, in my family we read stories from the Bible. Uh, we read a lot of stories from the Bible. And certainly... Uh, the Bible is full of stories. There's stories of creation, stories of Abraham, stories of the children of Israel, David and Solomon, and, and then as we get into the New Testament, stories about Jesus and his apostles. But it's um, been observed that um, perhaps in this multitude of many different stories, there's one kind of overarching story a story that begins in creation. God creates this good and beautiful world. And it ends in the restoration of that creation. You might think that perhaps in a way, the big story of the Bible is itself about transformation. When we start in Genesis, we find once upon a time, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And as Pastor Dave reminded us last week, there's a, there's a rhythm to that Genesis 1 account. God says, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that it was good. God said, let the land be separated from the water, and God saw that it was good. And he said, let the land bring forth vegetation, and God saw that it was good. But remember, at the end of Genesis 1, we hear this. And God said, let us make man in our own image. A basic beginning part of the story of the Bible is that human beings are made in the image of God. That's the beginning of the story. There's a beginning and a middle and an end, except that the middle starts very, very early in the story of the Bible. We only get to Genesis chapter 3, and here we find Adam and Eve who have been sharing this fellowship with God, they decide they're going to go their own way. They're going to make some decisions apart from their relationship with God. And much of the rest of the story of the Bible is about how God's people wander away. They seek after other gods. They try to make it on their own. But you also hear the voice of God persistently calling, beckoning his people back to him. A lot of this call of God is in the words of, of the prophets. And we begin to hear in the prophets this hint of the restoration, of the transformation of the world from how it is now unto a new creation. We hear from Isaiah, that um, the lion will lay down with the lamb. 
in the passage that Mark read this morning from Ezekiel. These dry bones that are separated come together. God breathes the breath of life into them. They're transformed again into a person. They're transformed into what God intended it to be. In the prophets we hear that the glory of the Lord will be revealed to all people. We read in the prophets that the Messiah, there's somebody that's going to be coming. There's a Prince of Peace. So we begin to get all these hints about the transformation that is to come. And then we come to the New Testament. And the first thing that we hear Jesus preach is this good news. That the kingdom of God has come. That the kingdom of God, look around, is among them. Jesus has given us a new message about the impending restoration, the impending transformation that is is, uh, God's intention. This morning, we had two uh, verses that specifically used that word transformation. One of them was our memory verse from Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, that word transform in Greek, um, by the way, I guess there are some notes in the, in the bulletin. And um, yeah, metamorpho is this Greek word. And when you hear that, metamorpho, you, you hear the English word metamorphosis. And you remember from Doug Johnson's biology class what metamorphosis is all about. There's the the caterpillar, and he's crawling along the ground, and then he becomes a cocoon. And then from the cocoon, a butterfly emerges. The intent of that, what, what is that caterpillar intended to be? It's intended to become a butterfly. Metamorphosis. Transformation. Again, turning to Romans 12, 2. Paul is exhorting um, the believers to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, That by testing you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul here seems to be saying that um, there's a way in which our minds can be renewed that actually transforms us. That changes us into the person he intends us to be. A person who can discern what is good a person that can discern what the will of God is. And indeed, this is the way it should be. We are made in, in God's image. The work of transformation. 
In the other passage that we read this morning from the New Testament was from the third chapter of, of second, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And Paul, Paul here is recounting a story from the Old Testament. And that story is when Moses went up uh, to Mount Sinai and he encountered the Lord there. And when he came down, the glory of the Lord was so evident, so brilliant on his face that he put a veil over his face. But Paul says, starting in verse 16, that when anyone turns to the Lord Jesus, they will reflect the Lord's glory as we are being metamorphosed. We're being transformed into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay. Transformation. Is that, when I think about my life, when I think about my life story, am I being transformed into Christ's likeness in such a way that the glory of God is reflected in my life? As a follower of Jesus, do I see evidence of transformation in my day-to-day life? And how does that transformation take place? Is it, is it kind of like the fairy tales where I wish upon a star and, and then I'm transformed? Or is it like that biological metamorphosis that it just it sort of happens? I have thought about this, um, and, and I, I think when I think about this idea of being transformed into the likeness of Christ, and how does that happen, I, I think that it's a matter of willpower. I have to muster up enough willpower, and then I can change, and then... If I summon up enough willpower, I'm going to be able to demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience. Anybody recognize that list? What's that list? That's the fruits of the Spirit. That's from Paul's letter to the Galatians. And I think that's... um, First and foremost, what we need to remember that the transformation of lives that show love and joy and peace and patience is, first of all, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes that transformation happen. Is there a way, though, that I participate, that I collaborate with the Holy Spirit? I want to return for just a moment to that idea of willpower. Uh, Chad mentioned that this week in some small groups throughout um, the Olivet community, we've begun 
uh, a study of a book called the, the Good and Beautiful God by an author by the name of James Bryan Smith. And in that first chapter that we read this week, um, he talks a little bit about willpower. And he said, you know, I think that um, that idea that we have of willpower is maybe um, erroneous, is, is, a, is a mistake. He said that, you know, our will is not strong or weak, but our will is just the capacity to choose. Am I going to wear a long sleeve shirt today? I'm going to wear a short sleeve shirt. Am I going to wear a red shirt? Am I going to... It's just, it, it isn't that I have a strong will that leads me to choose one thing or another. It, it simply is that capacity to choose. Our, our choices are shaped by something else. Another thing he does is he compares this idea of the will to um, like a beast of burden, to like, say, a horse. And the horse does take the rider to a particular place, but it's the rider that makes the choice. It's the person on the horse that makes the choice. And so he suggests when we're thinking about this idea of transformation and choices that we make, our will is influenced by three things. I've got it right here in our, our notes. The will, he says, is modified by three things. These are the mind and the body and our social relationships. So he says that our will, the way we make decisions, is changed when these three influences have been modified in some way. And so um, the intent of um, the author in this book is let's attend to these different aspects of our day-to-day lives. And in doing this, the Holy Spirit continues the work of our transformation into the likeness of Jesus. Um, I want to spend most of the rest of our time this morning just talking about the first one, um, how our mind influences the will. Remember, again, our memory verse for today is um, Romans 12, 1, or 2, excuse me. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I was commenting earlier that um, very often we think, or we explain things, we understand things in the form of stories, in, in narratives, because it's a structure that's easy to remember. They come easily to our mind. And we hear stories, but as we experience our life, we, we call those stories. And those stories become narratives that begin to shape our will, that shape the way we think. And these narratives influence us without regard to whether they're accurate 
uh, or whether they're helpful in any way. The stories come from many places. They shape how we think about ourselves, about our families, about what is fair, what is unfair, and they shape how we think about God. Again, these stories might be actual stories that we've heard, but many of them are from our life experiences. Some could be from our larger cultural um, environment that we live in. We're Americans. We have the pioneer spirit. There's the rugged individual. Um, That's a, a narrative that might be informing how we think about ourselves, how we think about our daily actions. We're influenced by um, television commercials. Our will and our decision-making can be informed by that indisputable truth that you deserve a break today. In my own life, Some of my perceptions, I am again grateful for, were shaped by stories about a God that loved me, that loved me unconditionally. But there were competing narratives. Um, In our little church, we had um, annual revival meetings, and for five nights in a row, an eight-year-old boy being reminded that tonight could be the night that I die in a car crash, and was I right with God? And you can imagine um, narratives like that having a power, and it's a power that influences and brings about fear and anxiety that indeed shape shape the way I lived, the way I thought. When I was in the seventh grade, my family moved from um, one community to another one where I had no friends, nobody knew anything about me. And I had a very difficult time adjusting to that change and I became very depressed and withdrawn for Um, it was a good year or two. And I think that there was a narrative that emerged in my life, a story, okay, when when change happens, bad things happen. So uh, change is a bad thing, and, you know, it's best to live by avoiding change as much as possible. So um, I had some... Narratives that brought me toward life. I had a lot of narratives that um, led to depression or fearfulness. Um, I had narratives that um, led me to avoid life experiences that could be part of my transformation into the image of Christ. Let me to avoid kind of fully embracing that good and beautiful life that God had intended for me. 
narratives. Do you have narratives, stories that influence how you think, how you think about yourself, how you think about the people around you, how you think about God? Um, Chad had mentioned um, an announcement uh, this weekend. There's going to be uh, this Friday and Saturday. There's a conference, uh, the To Be Told teleconference. And actually, one of the things that is going to be uh, part of that conference is sort of a, a reflection and examination of maybe some of these personal narratives that influence, again, the way we think, the way we make decisions, and then that has implications for how we then live out our lives. Again, though, let's hear Paul's admonition. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. An essential part of renewing our minds is immersing ourselves in the word of God. Um, as we listen to the Gospels, as we hear the voice of Jesus telling us about his good father, we learn that God is trustworthy. God is love. God is generous. God is holy. God is self-sacrificing. Are these the narratives that first come to mind and shape how I think about God, how I think about myself. As we immerse ourselves in the word of God, as we memorize scripture, we, we were um, looking at script, uh, our memory verse for today. The Spirit can change our narratives about God. The Spirit is able to change those narratives that we have about ourselves, And so we begin to think differently. Our will is shaped by these narratives. And these inward changes begin to show up in the way we behave from day to day. Uh, a few moments ago, I, I mentioned that there were three things influencing our will, our minds, our bodies, and our social relationships. And so in addition to um, changing our mind, renewing our mind, adopting those narratives, that Jesus has about God. We can deepen those through particular activities that are aimed at making those narratives real, not only to our minds, but to our bodies and souls. And this is what we um, mean by that idea of spiritual disciplines. Uh, in the book that um, we're studying um, in the weeks to come, uh, he uses a different uh, phrase he used talks about soul training and these are things that choices that we make activities that we engage in that just deepen those changes in our mind that comes from 
immersing ourselves in Scripture. We participate in the Holy Spirit's work of transformation as we renew our minds, as we train our bodies and souls in spiritual exercises. And then the third thing is, it occurs, these changes, this transformation occurs most profoundly in the faith communities that God has called us to. And for many of you, Olivet here is a primary faith community. And so it's our prayer in the session meetings when we have our monthly session meetings. One of the things that we are praying about is that Olivet is a community that supports, encourages, celebrates transformation in the lives of this community. I began this morning by talking about fairy tales, especially those stories of transformation that although we think of them as children's stories, uh, we can still get caught up in them as adults. I mentioned a moment ago um, C.S. Lewis um, wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He was a master storyteller from the 20th century. And and one of his colleagues was uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, um, who wrote the, the Lord of the Rings, another um, series of books that you may be familiar with. But these uh, two colleagues uh, also wrote some material about the idea of the fairy tale from a place of Christian faith. And they suggested, a, they suggested this, that the reason fairy tales have such a staying power is that there's something in us that believes or wants to believe that this world, this ordinary world as we know it, is not the whole story. That there is something in us that is longing for a re-enchantment of this world um, or for the promise of another world. They note as well that this world, this transformation, is not that far away. This extraordinary possibility, the possibility that I am, that you are being transformed into the likeness of Christ that extraordinary possibility may come by way of very ordinary means. An enchanted pumpkin becomes a coach. A wardrobe becomes an entry into the land of Narnia. One of the things that these authors write is that the power 
behind the fairy tale and its attraction to us is that there was a fairy tale that actually came true. There was a king that came into his country in disguise. Isaiah says that this king appeared as a tender shoot, like a root out of the dry ground, and he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. But as the great story continues, as this fairy tale continues, the king says, ah, the kingdom of God is near. The king says, repent and believe the good news. Let me subtly have the worship team come on up. We are invited to be a part of this great and true fairy tale. We are being invited into a good and beautiful life. We are being invited to be transformed into the image and likeness of the king. This morning, it might seem as though we've been considering some pretty familiar, some very ordinary things. We've been talking about studying the Bible. We talked about spiritual disciplines, memorizing scripture, praying. We're talking about engaging in Christian community. These are things that we've talked about. But God works extraordinary transformation. The way to this extraordinary is through the ordinary. Take a a look around you. Once upon a time, there was a man named Mark who was being transformed into the image of Christ. There was a woman named Anne. There was a man named Bob. There was a woman named Mary. There was a man named Mike. These were all being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And you all, as this faith community, have a part to play. And you can be witnesses to these men and women as they are transformed into the likeness of Christ.